Well, good morning. Welcome to Bible Center. My name is Matt. I'm the senior pastor here. It's great having you with us uh, on this fall, almost winter morning. This past week, I was at the barber shop, and uh, you know, when you're, when you're out in town, restaurants, barbershops, different places, I'm learning to always say hi. One, because it's just a good thing to say hi. And also, I'm learning that I'm still getting to know people in our church. And so if I ever sit by you at a barber shop and you are a part of our church, please, if I forget to say hi, you do that. I want to get to know you. Uh, but I was sitting at the barber shop, and this sweet elderly couple looked over at me and they kept looking, and I wasn't sure if I should speak or if they were going to speak. And so finally she said, I just, she goes, I've wanted to meet you. And she goes, You're from Bible Center. And I said, Yes. And she goes, I just want to tell you how much I love your church. And I say, Oh, that's wonderful. It's encouraging to hear. Uh, when were you here last? And she said, I don't think I've, I've ever been here, um, but I watch every Sunday, my husband and I. And we're not able to get out very much early in the mornings, but we watch the services and we just love what God is doing at your church. And I thought, oh, what a blessing. So if you're watching this morning, you, uh, uh, dear couple, we're so glad to have you watching with us. And we trust that the Lord will bless your heart and draw us all closer to him. Let's go ahead and jump into our passage. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, if you would turn with me to Joshua chapter 2, Joshua chapter 2. And stand with me as I read, if you're physically able, Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The Bible says, And Joshua the son of Nun sent two spies secretly from Shittim, as spies saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house. For they have come to search out all the land, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Today I want to tell you the story that's over 3,000 years old. It's the story about how a prostitute became one of the grandmothers of our Lord Jesus Christ. The story begins in Joshua chapter 2 with two men, two spies. Moses had just died and Joshua gives them a mission to go into enemy territory and spy out the land. You can picture the conversation taking place between them. It wasn't a conversation of fear, but it was more of a conversation of joy. We are chosen. Joshua has picked us to be the two spies to go into Jericho. Now they remember, they've heard stories about how their parents had died and their grandparents had died in the wilderness because there were 12 spies that originally went into the land. Two of the spies were faithful to God and believed that God could do it, but 10 of the spies weren't faithful. They doubted God. And so they heard the stories, and you can picture as they begin to tell each other, we are not going to fail God. We are not going to fail our people. We will believe that the Lord can do this. So their mission this time wasn't so much if God could conquer the enemy, but it was a matter of how. How would God do it this time? 
Just a few facts on Jericho as they were being sent to this ancient city. It's one of the world's oldest cities, predating Abraham thousands of years before Jesus, of course. It's part of the Amorite kingdom. If you like to study world history, uh, you probably won't find the word Amorites much in world history, but you will find what the Sumerians called the Martu or the Akkadians called the Amaru. It was a very large town for its time, about two to 3,000 people, and it was built at a crossroads between two heavily traveled mountain passes. It was strategic for Joshua and for Israel to conquer these people, this city, because it was right in the middle of the land that they wanted to take. So if they could divide and conquer, they could win. You had the Canaanites to the north and the Amorites in the south. The city of Jericho was known for three things. It was famous, first of all, for its walls, thick walls. In this particular picture, you can't read the writing, but I thought the diagram best depicted how the city would have been built. They believe there were two layers of walls, so if the enemy was able to get through one, they had another line of defense into the second. You're going to want to remember that middle part in between the walls because somebody we're going to talk about in a moment lived there. And so as they're thinking about Jericho and they're thinking about it being famous not only for walls, it was also famous for wickedness. Jericho was the place who sacrificed children to their gods. Jericho was also famous for commerce and for travelers to uh, trade their goods. So picture, if you will, the morning that these two spies get up to approach the city of Jericho. They have their coffee they get their shoelaces laced, and they take off for a 14-mile walk. Now, 14 miles doesn't seem like a lot to us, but it was a lot to them. 14 miles from here would be like walking to Big Chimney, or like walking to Polka, or maybe walking to Waterways down in Boone County, or walking to Campbell's Creek. It would have taken them about five hours to make the walk. And at the middle point of their journey, they had to travel through the Jordan River, so they would have gotten wet. Imagine as they go seven miles, they cross the Jordan River, they're soaking wet, but by the time they get to Jericho, they're dry. And they're standing at a distance looking at this huge city, and they're seeing all the travelers and the commerce come together in the market. Well, they check out the highways and they jump in with all the other travelers as they approach the city gates. Maybe they saw something like this. They saw animals that they weren't familiar with. They saw people they had never seen. They they saw buildings built in ways that they had never experienced. They lived in Egypt, and so they had seen a lot of big buildings but never something quite like this, built in the middle of nowhere, out of limestone and mud brick. And so they sneak into the city. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us all the specifics, but somehow they were detected. Picture as they try to get into the crowd with all the traders, and and they they walk the city streets, and they're examining the walls, and they're examining the, the defenses, and they're looking around at the soldiers and the weaponry. And then they realize, we need to find a place to stay for the night. And so they go to a hotel. They go to an inn, probably a tavern along the city wall. I told you to remember the space between the two walls. They went and camped or lived, got a room in in a room in between the two city walls. 
As they knock on the door of the tavern, the woman of the tavern welcomes them in quickly and she shuts the door and she says, you shouldn't be here. Now they're a little surprised. Like why would this woman tell us we shouldn't be here? Like we're looking for a room for the night. We're looking for a place to stay. And she says, we have been watching you. We know who you are and we know why you're here. And this particular woman begins to tell them how she had heard that they had crossed the Red Sea and how God had parted the waters. They had heard about all the defeats of the kings along the way. And these people knew that they were next. And she said, you shouldn't be here. And so she says, here, get up on my roof quickly and I'll hide you because the king surely is going to send his soldiers here. They know you're here. Now, they're just looking for a place to stay for the night. They think they've been incognito, but she knows that they've already been spied out. They go to the roof where she's drying flax. We don't use flax much today, or at least we don't make flax like they did back then, at least dry flax on our roofs. But she had these bales of flax on her roof, perhaps in piles. And picture, if you will, she moves away the flax, opens a trap door, and the two men hide in her roof. And so they're wondering, is she going to sell us out? And as they wait, they look around through the cracks of light coming through the top of the trapdoor, and they see different names of people and initials carved all in this little cavern where they're hiding. And they realize there's been a lot of men hiding in here. I wonder why. A little bit later, they hear footsteps coming back up the stairs. And, and they will think she's going to sell us out. Certainly, we're going to die. And, and as the trapdoor opens, they're expecting the enemy soldiers, and it's just her, this woman Rahab. And they discover that she, one, wasn't going to sell them out, but two, they discover what she does for a living. Rahab is a prostitute. And all the initials and the men that they've seen in the little place where they were hiding under the piles of flax were all the men who were probably hiding there from their wives or from someone else. And they begin to talk to Rahab. And Rahab shares with them about how she believes in their God. How she wants to turn to their God. And, and she says this, this beautiful statement in Joshua chapter 2, verse 11. As soon as we heard it, she said, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house. Give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell us this business of yours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you." They're standing in her living room, which is also part of the tavern. And she says, now you've got to get out. Here, take this rope. I'll let you down the window, which also happened to be a window along the outer wall. And she said, take the rope and get out of here. And you can picture as the men are about to get, grab the rope and climb out the window, she stops them one more time. And she says, wait a minute. Can I have your word that when you send your army 
that because I have helped you and because I want to believe in your God, you will save my life. You will save my family's life. And they said, you have our word. And you can picture as one of the spies, we don't know their names, turns to the other one and he says, well, we've got to figure out a way to mark this house. So that way we can keep our word. And the other spy looks in the corner and there's a red rope coiled up. And he says, take the red rope and and after we get out of here, don't use this rope, but use the red rope. Tie it out your window just long enough so it can kind of hang in the breeze. And when we come back a few days later and see the red rope, we will tell our army to let you live. And so that's exactly what happens. We read the rest of chapter 2 and we find that the two spies hide for three days in the cliffs just beyond Jericho. About a half a mile outside of Jericho, these these 1,500 foot tall cliffs uh, made of limestone. And so there's caverns and caves all through the cliffs. They probably hid in the caves for three days. They eventually work their way back 14 miles to where Israel is camped. And they tell Joshua, the city is ours. God has delivered the city. We can do it. And Joshua 6 tells the whole story. If you've grown up in church, you've heard Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. You've heard about all the marching songs around Jericho. And for six days they march once. On the seventh day they march seven times. And the walls immediately fall. I was reading this week, British archaeologist. British archaeologist by the name of Garstang, Garstang, sounds more German, John Garstang, British archaeologist, a little over 100 years ago, discovered the city of Jericho. And the interesting thing that he found was that the walls were not collapsed in like with a battering ram. They were collapsed out as if someone had taken their hands and literally ripped the city apart. God's word is true. And we find that they saved Rahab and all of her family alive, but that's not the rest of the story. As Paul Harvey used to say, there there was more to the story. In, In Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews lists Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then he lists Rahab in Hebrews 11, 31. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5, Matthew lists all the generations of Jesus and Jesus' great, 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 however many greats you want to go back, his grandmother was this woman, Rahab the prostitute. God in his mercy not only saved her that day, but he brought her into the family of Israel. He brought her into the family of God and she found acceptance. She found safety. She found a new life. She found love. And I love Joshua 6.25. I've never seen it until this week. Never paid attention. Joshua 6.25 says, Rahab has lived in Israel to this day. Joshua, as he's writing the original manuscript of this book, he says, even as I'm writing as an old man, right down the road, Rahab still lives here. What's the main encouragement for this message today? 
What's the main encouragement for this morning? It's simply this. Accept broken people as God has accepted you. Accept broken people as God has accepted you. Now, when we think about the storyline of the Bible, we often think that the Old Testament was the story of law and judgment. But the New Testament is a story of grace. But that couldn't be further, furthest from the truth. Actually, the entire Bible is a story of grace. From the very beginning, God has planned to save the nations. It was never his intent just to save little Israel, but through Israel, God would save the world, which is why he told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. It's why Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Accept broken people as God has accepted you. Now quickly as we close, how do we do that? How do we accept broken people practically? I love how this particular passage gives us some great examples. First of all, we see we can listen to their stories We learn from the two spies that to accept broken people means to listen to their stories. They took time to listen to Rahab. They heard her story. They didn't write her off, but they they heard what God was doing in her heart and in her life, and that's good for us as well. We all like to talk about ourselves. You ever gone to meet somebody and didn't really know what to say? Pastors do it all the time. You go to a funeral. You go to someone's house. We don't have a script. Like in seminary, we're not given the script, like say these words. Sometimes the best words are the ones we don't say. But whenever we, you show up to somebody and you ask, not sure what to say, you can ask them about them, and they'll always love to talk about themselves, or usually. We love to talk about ourselves. Have you ever talked to somebody that, that always t- turned the conversation back to them? Like you're having a conversation and you're like telling them this, this big story of your life and instantly they're like, well, well, this happened to me too and their story has to be bigger than your story. It happens all the time on the golf course. This week, next week, hunting season, some of you are going to be out looking for the big buck, right? And so your buddy says, hey, or you say, yeah, I, last year I, 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 got, I not caught a six point, I shot a six point. And he's going to say, well, I, I, last year I got a seven point. You ever see men do that, or, or women, I guess? Oft, often that's the way we're made. But God invites us to ask and learn each other's story, to listen to their stories. As people come to Bible Center and God continues to grow our church, my encouragement to you is that we would all be people who would listen to one another's stories and be genuinely interested in the person and not just in them filling a seat or filling a chair. Last week, there were uh, two guests, a number of guests every week, but last week there were two guests, and I don't want to embarrass them, but I'll embarrass them. Uh, Bev and Butch Charlton was sharing with me how that they were asking, they were, they were greeters, and this new, these new folks came in, and they started talking with them, and they kind of wanted to know, is it okay for us to leave our greeter post and for us to go show, have, having shown them around? And they end up showing them around the whole church and sat with them during the service, got to know them, 
and were just so excited that it was okay to leave your greeter post. Man, that blessed my heart. Just listening to people's stories and getting to know people as individuals. May God help us do that with broken people. Number two, we can also value them as people. How do we accept broken people? We listen to their stories. We value them as people because the truth is we're all broken. Notice verse 14 with me. In Joshua 2, 14, the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. They dealt kindly and faithfully with Rahab as an individual, as a human being. They valued her as a person. You know, I read this week, it was interesting, about 2,000 years ago, shortly before Jesus' birth, there were a group, of Rah- a group of rabbis that tried to rewrite the story of Rahab. It kind of made me feel good knowing that it didn't just happen in the, in the Jewish world, it also happens in our world. People want to rewrite history. And, and so these rabbis tried to rewrite it to say that, that she really, Rahab, really wasn't a prostitute. And they tried to take the word, the word there and say, well, really it means innkeeper or tavern keeper. Now, in context, most likely Rahab ran a tavern. Most likely she ran an inn. She ran a hotel. The text doesn't say that. We just kind of think that. Probably it's what it was. That's why the men probably knocked on the door to spend the night at her house, at her place, And it wasn't uncommon in that day, or really even in in some parts of the world today, where someone who runs a tavern or runs the inn uh, may also uh, have this reputation. And so they said, well, she really wasn't a, a prostitute. She was just an innkeeper. And because God would never invite into his family someone of ill repute. Now, think about that. They wanted to rewrite it because she was so bad. When you read Joshua chapter 6, verses 22 through 25, it doesn't just say that that she came, but she actually started the process of becoming an Israelite. When it says she waited outside the camp, it means that there was this process, kind of like we have a membership process at church, and there's processes for your work and clubs and organizations. They started this process of bringing her in, valuing her her as a person so that Joshua said even in his old age she still lived among the people of Israel I realize we need labels we can't live in a world without labels the idealist says there's no such thing as labels let's just treat each other as humans I understand that's kind of ideal But what if we really worked hard as the church to really try to stop treating people with labels and actually trying to see them as human beings? One of the words I hear around here a lot is liberal and conservative. Well, that person's a liberal. That person's conservative. As if because we say that one word or that one name, we know everything about that person. Now, I use it, and you use it, and we all will continue to use it, but what if we tried to really fight past that and get to know people as individuals? They're, oh, they're a Republican. They're a Democrat. That's why they, well, maybe, maybe, but they're also a person. They have a name. They have an address. 
We do it with sexual orientation. We, we do it with social class. We, we do it with all That person is this. But God invites us as a church to rise above this. But to see them as somebody created in the image of God, they had a birthday, they have a mama, they had a daddy. They are somebody who lives down the street. They like the same food you like, or maybe they don't like the same food you like. But we as a church in Charleston are called to build relationships, not just with the people who look like us and believe like us and act like us, but may God help us build relationships with human beings who need Christ. Value them as people. Rahab was placed in the genealogy of Jesus. Who in Charleston does God want to put on the rolls of Bible Center Church? The biggest of the sinners. I mean, the truth, the truth is, we're all deserving of being there in that list. So may we, God help us to value others as Christ has valued us. Number three, we can meet physical needs to illustrate spiritual truth. As the spies are leaving the window, they tell her, grab the red rope, the red cord, and hang it in your window as a symbol. And when the army passes by, they don't know at this point the walls are going to come down. God doesn't tell them that until Joshua 6. But when they pass by, we will pass over you. What does that sound like? It sounds like Exodus chapter 12. It sounds like the Passover feast there's this thread, we call it the scarlet cord of redemption or the scarlet cord of salvation in the Bible. And over and over again, for some reason, God uses the color red, this crimson, this deep red to symbolize his salvation. In Genesis 38, Tamar, who was also a prostitute, wrapped her son, one of the twins, Zerah, wrapped his wrist with a red bracelet just as he was being born. According to Matthew 1.3, that same young man is also listed in the genealogy of Jesus. Two people of the same profession, two women of the same profession, two women whose stories involve a red rope or a red cord. The Passover and Egypt was when you took the, the blood of a lamb and you put it on the doorposts around your house and when God and his angel would pass over, you could be saved. The priest's robes had red. Decorations in the tabernacle had red. What are the spies doing? Now, we don't want to over-spiritualize. It could be that as they're going out the window about to scale down several-story tall wall, one of the spies looked in the corner and he said, hey, we're going to take this rope with us, so use the red one. Right? It could have happened that way. Probably not. It seems in the Bible that God uses this red cord. It seems as if in the Bible the two spies, after all, they saw the whole world through that Passover lens. They saw the whole world through blood redemption, and they didn't even know why. And so they said, use the red cord because the red cord is physical, but it symbolizes something spiritual. We, as we accept broken people into our church, do good works not to trick people into being saved, but we do good works because we believe good works 
symbolize the spiritual truth and the spiritual need of their heart. Leslie Newbigin, a leader of the church for the last few decades, has written, he says, Jesus sketched out in pencil what he would one day paint over with indelible ink. Like a flower that grows in the middle of a demolition site, Jesus gave us signs among the rubble. In other words, we can be a church Charleston can't live without by doing good works to plant signs among the rubble of the world. Jesus saves. Do our good works save? No. Jesus saves. But good works makes people thirsty for the salvation of Christ. There's one more way that we can love and accept broken people, and that's this. We can welcome them as family. We can welcome them as family. Chapter 6 tells us that the spies lived up to their agreement. Not only did they live up to their agreement, but they welcomed her in. She became one of them. She became a, a proselyte Hebrew. She became part of their family. They accepted her into their presence. One of the greatest ways that we as a church can show the love of Christ in Charleston isn't through programs, but it's through presence. We have a lot of great programs, a lot going on at Bible Center. But if you've noticed, one thing we're trying to do is begin to shift, turn the tide to where we're inviting people more into our groups and our classes. And we have a Bible Center in five every Sunday right over here after the service over here on my left where Jane or one of our other staff members leads people through five minutes of, hey, this is how you can find belonging at Bible Center. People today are often looking to belong even before they believe. And we want to welcome them in to our fellowship and welcome them in to our groups and our classes so they might know Christ and that we might know them. But when we think about different ministries on the horizon, you know, one of the ministries that we were really passionate about in 2018, I'm going to say more at the member meeting today, is our special needs ministry, ministering to families and children with special needs. The Christmas card offering this year, I don't think it's been announced yet, but we made a call this year for the Christmas card offering. We have a room downstairs that's ready to go, but we need, and John will give us all the specifics, we need a lot of equipment to launch a true special needs ministry. We've decided this year we want to go all out to minister to families with special needs in Charleston, and so we're going to dedicate our Christmas card offering to that this year. It's not because we want to do something and send them away, but we want them here, presence. We think about Celebrate Recovery. It's, it is, it's on our radar to launch a Celebrate Recovery unit here at Bible Center, and it's so easy. One thing I'm learning as a senior pastor, it's so easy just to say, hey, we're going to start it on this date. But there's a lot of work that goes in, a lot of preparation, some legal issues and things that we've got to make sure all of our bases are covered why do we want to do that? It's because we don't want to send people there. We want to invite them here. And lastly, one of the big emphasis in 2018 is an adoption foster care. Adoption foster care advocacy. We want to be a church that continues what you, some of you started decades ago. Many of you are involved in adoption or foster care. And every time I meet somebody new, I tell Michelle, I cannot believe the number of people in our church who are involved in this ministry. 
but we want to step into it even more in 2018. We believe we have the staff to do it. We believe that God is moving us in that direction, and we want to continue to fan the flame of what you're doing. This is Adoption Foster Care Month, and so today we want to end with a video that shows what the Lord is doing and how we want to invite more people like this into our presence as our family and show the gospel through accepting broken people. My name is Donna Lucas. My husband and I have had 36 foster children. We wanted to have more kids, but I wasn't very good at the giving birth part. So I had my beauty shop in front of the house and I worked part of the time. And I thought there has to be more. And I just get ready and go to the DHHR. And, I, and the only reason I can think of is God sent me. Because like I said, why didn't I go to Dairy Queen that day? I didn't, I went to DHHR and signed up and come home and told everybody what I did. Every child, my husband made this frame, made concrete, poured it in there. The small ones had their feet prints, the big ones had their hand prints, and they had their first name and the year we had them. And so now they're out by my porch and I can see them all, and it's my walk of fame. Oh, you bring hope to the hopeless and light to those in the darkness and death to light. So I give you mine. You give peace to the restless and joy to homes that are broken. adopting us it was like it just all came to life it was like I had kids I'd given birth to and I have the ones I adopted and there's absolutely no difference in the way I feel there's none and he just made it real that he cares about me like that like he really cares it just made it all real oh you feel those who are empty and rescue those in the valley and through it all oh you calm my soul and you find me in my weakness and heal the wounds of my heartache i worship over here and just bond with this baby. He's 72 days old 
and just come and bond with him and see him. Well, I wasn't going to adopt another child. I was 48. John was 48. So we go, and he's so tiny, and he's so precious, and he's wired up to everything. And we put our hands in there, you know, and just, you could only do this with him. And John put his hand in there that first day, and he reached up and grabbed hold of John's finger. And that was it. That he was our baby. And he still is, 14 years later. how crazy you think the idea is if you believe God wants you to do it. It was crazy we adopted a baby after he just lost his job. We, it was crazy for us to adopt at 48 years old. I would just say, go for it. Don't be afraid. And like I said, every time I got a child, sometime in that first day, it was like, oh no, this one was a mistake. <laughs> but it wasn't. church and hearing and praying and that's all I could give them to take with them someday and I remember I told one not long ago I said your life always won't be this way you won't have to take orders from everybody else you will decide what you want to do with your life and it, it nothing lasts forever The Lord is doing something in us as individuals, but also in us as a church. I'm going to ask you over the next month and a half, what I'm about to read and pray before we close is out of Luke 4. This is going to be our theme verse for 2018. And I'm going to ask you to ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to be a Christian Charleston can't live without? For some of us, it may be supporting or actually diving into what we just saw. For others, it may be some other ministry, some other endeavor. That's the neat thing about the church. The Spirit of God lives in you. Let me ask you in the next six, seven weeks, as we launch for a year to remember, that God would lead us on how we can love this city like it has never been loved before. Please join me in prayer as we dismiss. Our Father, may your Spirit be upon us. May you lead us 
to what you want us to do. May you anoint us to proclaim the good news to the poor. Send us to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of the sight to the blind. Help us to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And may next year be a year that our church will never forget. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Go now in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Have a great day.